uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 23 uh, through the first verse of chapter 11, uh, because it actually, chapter 11, verse 1, actually ties in better with the end of chapter 10 than it does with the beginning of chapter 11. And so we're going to read uh, chapter 10, verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1, and then we're really just going to center in on one verse uh, this morning that God has laid on my heart. So please follow along as we read. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that, that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul concludes his discussion here on meat that had been offered to idols. And we've been talking about this for a number of weeks. I won't do much here by the way of review. But Paul is kind of winding his discussion down. And he wants the Christians to know that, listen, if you're at somebody's house and they just happen to serve this meat, just, just go ahead and eat it. That's why we, we come back to the fact that just eating it by itself was not wrong. Paul st said that at the outset back in chapter 8. Having this meat that had been offered to idols was not sin in and of itself. What the problem was, was when they were uh, doing it in a way that, that uh, offended their brothers and sisters in Christ, that was, uh, they, were, they were being arrogant um, in many ways. And then also we talked last week about when they ate it at the temple, it was engaging back into idolatry, and that was sin. But Paul said if you're at somebody's house, they serve it, don't ask any questions, just eat what's before you, and don't make a big deal about it. But the end of the discussion, the final point of what Paul is trying to say here in all of this discussion, the last three chapters dealing with this issue that was of such importance to the Corinthians, the end of the matter is this, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That was supposed to be the framework through which they operated and us as well. Everything we do, Paul says, should be done to the glory of of God. Last week we said that idolatry uh, is so hated by God because what it does is it takes his glory away and it gives it to something else. It, we put our focus, our energy, we put our spotlight, our hearts, affections on something other than God himself. In Isaiah 42 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved idols. In Psalm 29.2, we're told to ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And that here is that command uh, repeated in, in the New Testament in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all 
to the glory of God. And so I just want to ask a couple of questions today, this morning, as we conclude this section of 1 Corinthians about the glory of God. And try to help us flesh it out and think it through. Because I think the glory, the, the word glory and the phrase the glory of God, if we're not careful, it, it, it may not be a, a meaningful phrase to us. There are a lot of things that we say that uh, maybe are, we have certain phrases that, um, that are nonsensical or that just, you, you hear somebody say them, we're like, why, why, why do we say that? Uh, what is that? Like, like the phrase, don't cry over spilt milk. Like, who's ever cried about maybe the kid did I guess but like we have certain phrases that maybe don't have all that meaning we kind of we kind of have a general idea of what they're trying to say but they don't have a, like a deep sense of of really communicating a, a clear idea when we say them and so we, we want to make sure that when we talk about the glory of God it's such an important phrase in scripture and it's such an important concept in the word of God that it's not just passing us by it's not just something we utter without understanding what we're saying and so the first question I want to ask this morning is, what is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? What do we mean when we say, uh, to God be the glory? There's that great hymn, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. What do we mean when we say, to God be the glory? In the Old Testament, the glory of God could often be seen physically. It was manifested as a cloud or uh, the, the pillar of fire, the, the Shekinah glory hovered over the temple. But God's glory is more than that. It's his internal qualities or attributes. It refers to such essential aspects of his being as excellency or dignity, worthiness, greatness, or beauty. It can also refer to the display or the shining out of God's internal qualities. One writer says when it's used this way, the glory of God can imply a visible ex ex exhibition, a brightness or a display of his excellencies. But that still doesn't really help put it in concrete terms for us. And, and, and that's a little bit okay. It's impossible to truly define glory. You can explain things that you can physically see and touch, this this microphone stand or a, or a chair, uh, they, they can be seen and they can be easily explained, but glory is different. I like, uh, out of all the definitions I've seen, I, I like how John Piper puts it when he says, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It's the going public of God's holiness. It's, it's when we see him and experience him in a way that just moves us profoundly. The basic principle is that when we glorify God, it doesn't mean that we're making him glorious. When we take the word beautify, for, for example, if you're going to beautify something, like maybe a room, you're going to do something to create and make it more beautiful. You're maybe painting, you're rearranging the furniture, adding some artwork, you're giving it a facelift, you're helping, helping it look better. When we glorify God, we're not helping him get better in any way. We're not adding to him. We're simply recognizing what's there already. Glorifying God has to be distinguished from any idea of making God glorious or somehow adding to him. When we glorify God, we're savoring him, we're celebrating him, we're acknowledging his majesty. 
A couple of years ago, my family and I had the opportunity to go out to the Grand Tetons. And one of the days, uh, uh, my brother-in-law and uh, my sister-in-law and I and our boys and their oldest daughter, a few of us decided to go and we wanted to hike up this mountain, this beautiful mountain trail up to a, a beautiful mountain lake called Holly Lake up there. And it was roughly around like a, a 10,000 feet um, uh, above sea level there. And it was just, it was in the most incredible hike, the most difficult hike I've ever been on in my life. But everywhere along the way, it was beauty. It was, it was uh, mid-July, but the further up you got, it seemed like it was just spring. The snow was still, we still encountered quite a bit of snow up there. And it was melding, and you, got, you could see the, the snow melt uh, turn into waterfalls and rushing down the mountain into the, the beautiful crystal clear mountain lake. Um, everywhere you went, there was, there was flora and fauna that, that was not, is not common to where we live here in Michigan. There, there was just beauty and majesty all around the mountains. No matter how high we got, there, there were still peaks above us. And you could turn around and look behind you at where you'd come from, and it, it was framed beautifully by, by two mountain peaks, and we could see lakes down below, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. I had trouble putting my phone away because I just wanted to keep taking picture after picture, and, and I had to finally just put it away just so I could just enjoy the beauty for what it was. But as I stood there in awe of what I was seeing, in wonder, in marvel, my feelings, my expressions that I shared with our family as we talked about what we were seeing, none of that added to the grandeur of the mountains. Like, they didn't grow taller as I expressed my awe. The, the water did not run faster as I, as I watched the, the snow melt and run into this lake. Nothing changed around me because of my expressions of awe and wonder and amazement. When we glorify God, there is nothing about his being or his qualities that change. Not, God is not like supercharged or pumped up because of our worship. We are turning to him in worship because we are left with no choice. When we encounter God and his majesty and for who he is, his attributes, his love that we just sang about or whatever it might be, his holiness, we can't help but respond by glorifying him. That's what it means to glorify God. It's the heart's response to awe and wonder. One writer says, we glorify God not by putting excellence, any excellency into him, but by taking notice of his excellency and, ex and esteeming him accordingly, making manifest this, our high esteem of him. When we hear Paul's words, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We need to remember that a life pursuing the proclamation of God's excellence is all of our callings. In everything that we do, we're called to lift high and exalt 
the one who is greater than all. That, in a nutshell, is what it means to glorify God. There's so much more that we could say, so much more that we could do to try to explain this and understand it, but I want to move on to the next question. Why is the glory of God ultimate? Why does the Scripture make such a big deal about glorifying God? Paul says here, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That word all is an all-encompassing word. It means all, like everything about your life should be directed toward or our energy should be poured into lifting up and exalting God. Why is that such a big deal? The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. Putting the spotlight upon anything other than God is idolatry. You see, this is, this is another idea that we could just spend all morning chasing. God... I believe Scripture teaches God wants what's best for us. God longs for us to be satisfied. Uh, the church father, Augustine, um, has said, our hearts are restless until they can find their rest in you. God knows that nothing but Him, nothing but who He is in a relationship with Him, will bring ultimate satisfaction. Some of us can testify to this. We try to, in those momentary things, to try to find fulfillment. Well, we've all done it, even as believers. We, we've had that like pursuit of maybe it's buying something, or maybe it's a hobby, or whatever. And in that moment, we're like, huh, you know, it was cool, but it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It was fun, it was a blast, it was beautiful, it was fantastic, but... Then there was that like crash at the end, and you're like, There's some, I'm missing something. God knows that the only way to find that fulfillment is to find it in Him. And so that's why when He calls us to pursue His glory in all things, it's not just this selfish, self-centered thing that He's like, hey, I, I need, I need you, all eyes on me, all eyes up here. It really is because he's seeking our happiness and joy, and he knows that it can only be found in him. God is the highest of all beings. Every other pursuit for its own sake is idolatry. He knows that true contentment, true joy, true happiness, true fulfillment is found only in pursuing him and his glory. And that's why the glory of God is ultimate. But it's so important then to get practical, to ask the question, well, then how do I glorify God? Paul says to do it in everything. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. As we said at the outset, if we're not careful, this phrase glorifying God can turn into an ambiguous nothingness. We give lip service to it, being this profound act of worship around which our entire life should resolve, but what does it look like exactly in the daily rhythms of our life? Giving glory to God means rejoicing in and delighting in who He is, His divine attributes in nature. I want us to just turn to some other scriptures, and I'll put them on the screen so you don't have to jump back and forth. 
that show us some ways in which we can glorify God. This is not exhaustive by any means, but based upon some of these passages of Scripture, the first one is that we live a life of holiness, living a life where we pursue God and His Word and what He says. Uh, that's one way we glorify Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Keep your conduct honorable, among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. I think it's cut off there on the day of visitation, 1 Peter 2, 12. When we live in such a way that our conduct lines up with God's word, we bring glory to his name. The second one I made note of is living a life of generosity. Did you know that when you're a generous person, it brings glory or honor to the name of God? 2 Corinthians 9.13 says this, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all the others. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul was calling on the Corinthians to help give and be generous. I believe it was to the Jerusalem church. And he says, you know what? Your giving, your generosity is going to help them glorify God. It's going to result in their praise and their honor, their lifting up of the name of God. Being willing, thirdly, to suffer for Christ. Being willing to suffer for Christ brings honor to the name of God. God tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let them glorify, let him glorify God in that name. The, the calling of every believer to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. He's, he uses trials and difficulties and hardships to make us more like Jesus. And in that, as we're transformed to become more like Christ, God gets glory as he brings about our transformation. The fourth one I wrote down is when we live lives of sexual purity. We've already talked about this passage a few, a number of weeks ago, but in chapter 6, verse 20, uh, for, he says, For you were bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body. That passage was in the context of sexual immorality. By being obedient to God's commands and honoring him, by saying no to pornography and sexual immorality, we bring glory to God. Another one that uh, the Apostle Paul, um, or actually Peter, brings up is by using our gifts to serve the body of Christ. That brings glory to his name. Peter says it this way in chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter expresses the importance of each member using their gifts in the body of Christ. And he says, when we do that, 
God may be glorified in Jesus Christ. Just two more. Uh, Jesus said that God is glorified when we bear spiritual fruit. When we bear spiritual fruit. In chapter, uh, John chapter 15, verse 8, he says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You and I have choices to make every single day when we leave the house or when we're at the house. And when we bear spiritual fruit, when, when the Spirit of God is manifesting His power through us and there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's kindness, when these things are evident in our lives, Jesus said that His Father is glorified. And then finally, number seven, God is glorified when we sing his praises. It doesn't have to be through song. You can speak it. You can do it in your mind. As we read through the Psalms, and just one example is Psalm 50, verse 23, we see God's call for us to offer up verbally his praises to him. Psalm 50, 23 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. How about you this morning? Are any of these true of your life? Is your lifestyle being lived, is your life being lived in such a way that God is getting glory through the way that you speak, through the way that you act, through the way that you talk, by your decisions? Is God's name being lifted up? As we come to the last idea here, though, the last question, I want to ask, what does it look like for us to do all things to the glory of God? So we, we hear Paul's words, let's read it again, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. As I hear that, my mind goes to like, Paul has, Paul has take, taken something simple there, eating and drinking. I think he's done that because that's the context of what he's talking about here. Like, he's talking about the meat offered to idols. And he's like, so in eating, let's give glory to God. And he says, you know, in fact... Everything you do, let it be done for God's glory. Now think about that for just a second. Because you and I do a lot of stuff throughout the day, right? Our days, even if you're not extremely busy or if you, even if you're retired, you're not out, out working and traveling and, and engaged in a lot of activities, we still do a lot of stuff throughout the day. Even if we're sitting and watching TV, we're doing something. And here Paul says... Do it all for God's glory. Now, think about this. Like, how do you watch Netflix to the glory of God? How do you go to uh, your grandkids' sporting event, back when they had sporting events, um, to the glory of God? How do you eat your cereal or your eggs in the morning to the glory of God? How do you read a book or uh, engage in your favorite hobby or go to work or go to school 
have conversations with friends and relatives? How do you text to the glory of God? He has said here, do everything to God's glory. What does that look like? How does that, how does that become practical for us? I, I, just, I just made... Um, I want, to, I want to just mention two other scriptures before we, I kind of flesh this out a little bit as we close. Colossians 3.17 um, is another place in which this is bared out. Um, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's Colossians 3.17. He says essentially the same thing. Whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Paul has said also in Philippians 4.13, um, he says, whatever situation I am, I've learned to be content. Paul had this mentality that no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, he wanted to have a God-centered way of doing it. A, a God-exalting way of doing it. This can radically transform Not only the things that we choose to do, but the way in which we do them as we go throughout the day. Paul uses the example of food, so I'll stick with that. Paul picks like the most basic thing. I wager to guess uh, each of us do that on a daily basis. We, We eat. Just taking a wild shot in the dark. We eat and we drink. And Paul says you can eat and drink to the glory of God. So what does it look like for us to go home from church today and to have lunch to the glory of God? I wrote down just a couple of things. I didn't put these on the screen. But I think, first of all, as we think about eating our food to the glory of God this afternoon, I think, first of all, it begins with gratitude and thankfulness. For sure, probably most of us pray before we meal, we eat the meal, and we, we give thanks for the food. But I wonder if our hearts are truly expressing gratitude. I think we can give glory to God by pressing down into that a little bit and letting our minds think about what we have to be thankful for. I'm thankful for this recipe and the person who gave this recipe, who posted it on the internet. I can be thankful that God has given us all the ingredients in our shelves and in our, in our refrigerator to be able to make this. I'm thankful that we have pots and pans and, uh, or, or that enough money to go to, the, to go to the restaurant to be able to get this food. It begins with gratitude. It also, I think, includes a lack of deservedness. An understanding that, God, you didn't owe this to me. Like, God is not bound and obligated to give us food today. That's why Jesus told us to pray, give us today our daily bread. God is not obligated by some universal cosmic law that someone's twisting his arm. You better do. Like God's not obligated to give me my lunch today. So as I sit down and express thankfulness, I think maybe a part of that is like, God, you didn't owe this to me. What I deserve today is hell. I deserve eternal separation from you. That's what I deserve but in your goodness, not only if you've done all the th- these things to bring me into right relationship with you, to save me, that would be enough for et- eternal worship and praise, but you've given me this meal to be able to eat. God, you didn't owe that to me. Thank you. I, I think then we're called 
to savor the gift, to truly step back and appreciate what God has given as we're eating it, as we're taking those bites. Appreciate the different flavors that God has given you to enjoy. As you have your, your drink, whether whatever you have with your lunch today, God, thank you that you didn't just make everything taste the same. I was listening to a podcast this uh, last week with um, Tim Keller. He's a retired pastor from um, New York City, and, and now he kind of does a lot of writing and speaking in, in other formats. But uh, right now, he's going through pancreatic cancer, and he's getting treatments and, and everything. And, and there, there was an interview with him, and uh, the, the guys on the podcast just kind of were asking for an update on his health. And I, something he said was profound, and it stuck with me. And he said, um, he said, my wife Kathy and I have never enjoyed the little things of life as much as we do right now. He said, I don't know how much time I have, but he said, I, I can't tell you how much better food tastes to me because I stop to enjoy each bite. He said, we have a view from our New York City apartment of the East River, I think is what he said. He said, we've looked at that view for years and years. But he said, it's more beautiful than it's ever been. You know, if we stopped to take a moment and thank God for the little things, we would be well on our way to giving him glory in those little things. And then finally, with the, I wrote down, then, then we share the gift. As we think about the food that we have to eat, we should be delighted to share it with our family. We should look for ways to share with others because God is glorified in giving, in generosity. And so we look for ways, maybe invite people over for that meal or make an extra serving so that we can take it to someone we know in need. This is just one thing. I wrote down one other example of something that I, I struggle to enjoy. And I'll just run through each of those same things just to give us uh, some, again, some just like clear application. Um, snow shoveling. He says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. I don't necessarily love shoveling snow. That's why I have four boys. I'm not sure what I'm going to do when, well, I know what I'm going to do when they're out of the house. I'm going to buy a snowblower. But, <laughs> but um, we're told elsewhere in Scripture that in everything, give thanks how do, you, how do you do something that maybe isn't your favorite thing to do? My kids, one of the chores they, they loathe is picking up dog poop from the yard. How do you pick up dog poop to the glory of God? He says everything. How do you do something like shovel snow or go to a dentist appointment to the glory of God? I just wrote down these things with regards to snow shoveling. You know, as, as I step out there, I can just look and say, God, thank you that I have hands that work right. God, you've given me the physical ability to actually get out here and pick up this shovel. My, my back is, is good, at least at the start of the whole thing. Um, I have this warm coat. God has given me gloves to put on my hand. This, this is a whole process of like little things that we can just 
thank God individually for as you're going throughout the process. So you're just like overflowing with gratitude. And like, God, thank you that I can even get out here and do this. I had some uh, seminary classes online this week. And there were several people that were complaining because most of us are older and have families. And so there were several people complaining. They were having trouble hearing because their kids were running around in the, in the background. And they were apologizing for the noise being made. And, and then we, they broke us off into small groups to discuss something else. And one of the, the girls in our group, uh, I, I didn't know this, but uh, she and her husband are wrestling with infertility. And she shared that with our little group. And she's like, you know, her tears were starting to well up in her eyes. She said, I, I'd, I'd like to have kids making noise behind me right now. I've never had that sound, and we want it so badly. And I just thought, man, there are so many little things in life that we complain about. I've got to get out and shovel snow. Man, stinking snowed again. There are people who would love to be able to have hands that could grip a shovel, feet that could walk out there, a back strong enough to be able to lift that snow. But the gratitude can, can be infinite. The fact that I've even got a sidewalk or a driveway to clear, that God has provided me with a home to live in. As we move from gratitude and remember that lack of deservedness, we recognize that he didn't have to give us a driveway or a snow shovel, but in his grace, he's provided us richly with these things we don't Deserve, And then we take time to savor the gift. Taking time to just look up at that lightly falling snow. When I went out to Camp Living Waters yesterday to be with our teens, it was incredible beauty. Um, snow is not my favorite thing in the whole wide world, but I'll tell you what, it, out there it was just gorgeous. There was a light snow falling, there was no breeze or anything like that, and it was just coming through the pines just beautifully. Just taking time while you're out there snow shoveling to just look up at the snow and think, God, God is majestic in the way that he has created diversity in his beauty. Letting the snow fall on your tongue, thanking him for the sense of taste, taking a deep breath of that crisp morning air, marvel at God's ability to take something and, and be able to morph it between white fluffy stuff Stuff you could drink and vapor that can hang into the air is an is a amazing act of God's creative genius. And then we can take time to share that. We're clearing the driveway so that others can come in safely and comfortably to our home and not slip on the ice. I think that when we, when we look at life this way, God, I want to glorify you in all things, in the little things, daily, the mundane, the changing of the diapers, the, the, the reading bedtime stories, the, whatever it entails at your stage of life and in your home, your work, your school. It is possible to do all things in a way that lifts up the name of God, whether you eat or drink. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I want to leave you with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, 
the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. May he occupy all of our attention and permeate all that we do so that we can give him the honor and glory in everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words from your word would be practical to us today. It seems strange to think about doing everything for your honor and glory. We, we like to compartmentalize life. Singing at church, that's easy to say. That's, that's for the glory of God. Maybe giving my tithe. or When I go in above and beyond and do something nice for people. But then so often, the rest of stuff, well, it's just, it just feels like life. It just feels like it's what we do with our time. I've got to go to work. I've got to go to school. I've got to do the dishes. But Father, we see here from your word that you want us to live all of life under your dominion and all of life for your honor and glory and praise. Oh God, show us how we can do that. Give us a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for all things that you bring our way. And, and then, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to slow down and, and savor and enjoy the little things, a hug, a moment of quietness, the beauty of the birds at the feeder, the taste of a good meal. We would stand back in wonder that you would love us so much that you would be so kind and generous to create us with taste buds and eyes and ears and the sense of touch. God, teach us to be people who wonder. Teach us to be people who can't help but worship throughout the day. Because glory is all around us. May we properly recognize that all things from you and your goodness and your kindness towards us. Transform our hearts so that we would live every day for your glory. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. May you, you may be dismissed.